0: hey welcome back to the uncommon people podcast this is a show um, about you and me and everybody in between that's kind of the tag Um, because the idea behind this is talking to the people around me the people in my life i meet about their story about their perspective their experiences what they've learned in their life I think everybody has their own unique story, and we all have something to learn from those around us, so I'm very privileged to be able to do this and have those conversations and learn for myself, and I'm really glad that I get to share it with you so that maybe you can learn as well and be inspired to have conversations like this yourself, to dig in and ask good questions and really listen to those around you. Uh, This is episode 29 of the show. This is a conversation I had with Louis Cortese, who has lived quite an interesting life. Uh, I benefited from this conversation was really inspired by it, and I hope you will be as well. Um, I do want to apologize beforehand for the audio quality on this episode. There were some difficulties that I was not aware of in using the software that I record this with. So... I learned something aside from the things that Louie taught me in our conversation. I learned how to use this software a little better. So going forward, we probably won't see this issue, experience this problem. But just wanted to give you a heads up that the audio is a little off this episode. Nevertheless, I still hope it is a joy to listen to and that you benefit from it. So without further ado, this is episode 29 of Uncommon People. What do you think? Um, what do you think you'd find if you looked through this surplus of, of unread messages? <laughs>
1: Listen, let me let me fact check myself. <laughs> let me see if the, if it is a thousand right now.
0: It is a thousand and ten. One thousand ten. Yes. Unread text messages. Yes.
1: And it's interesting because, like, just just today alone, there is. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 different conversations that I've had. And it is two, two o'clock in the afternoon. So chances are there's going to be a lot of, hey, I need you to do something. Or hey, can you come right. here? Hey, can you do this? And there's a lot of messages that I will read and totally forget. To respond to like even looking at my phone right now. I'm just like I literally reading a text was hey, sorry Give me a sec had some craziness on my schedule I'll let you know and that was yesterday and there's another one right after that the exact same thing just copy and pasted And so I feel like if I dove into the archives of that chances are I'd probably find a lot of that a lot of empty promises
0: sadly, a lot of group group chats probably as well Wow. Mm -hmm. I feel honored that you've made time in your schedule then or even (laughs) just finding the text messages and responding to it. Dude, it's funny. Like even before we did this, that's what it was. I was like,
1: I I forget that you can like search someone's name and I'm just sitting there like scrolling, trying to find the conversation that we had so Uh I can give you a heads up. But I like for my yes to be yes and my no to be no. And that's something that like in my life, I've been trying to mature and just grow into is like, when I say yes, I'm going to do it, but not, don't say yes. If you don't have the intent of doing it as well. Right. So mm-hmm. that's yeah. wise. So that's why I have a thousand missed text messages yeah. I'm trying to mature. <laughs> what if you changed your phone number? Dude, uh, if I changed my phone number, <laughs> wow, that would be devastating to some people. Yeah. <laughs> be amazing to me. I probably never get a text message ever again. Yeah. <laughs> not tell anyone like not even tell my mom mm-hmm <laughs> <This is> awesome <laughs> just
0: just the just the few the few who would need to know would know for sure hmm. just that's so phone. interesting so how do you then balance because you're obviously reading some text messages mm-hmm. how do you balance that like endless attention really that's mm-hmm. being pushed on you mm-hmm. because you couldn't go through and read a thousand text messages in a day and mm-hmm. actually give your attention to this. Mm-mm. So how do you balance having that much on you mm-hmm. and knowing that there are some things you're going to respond to or that you need to put your time into, um, but also being able to say, I, I have to step away or yeah. I can't read all of these. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that? It's interesting because I like to immediately, I'm not big
1: in comparison, but I like to compare myself to someone who actually is famous. Like I remember I was sitting next to someone who's one of the most famous people in the world and I looked over at their phone and there was like 10,000 missed text messages. And I looked at that, I was like, how could they ever, ever in a million years ever reach that? And so, or ever even be able to have that many people wanting to have contact with you at one given time. For me, it's interesting because it, I don't think it's really pushed on me. I definitely think I invite it because I'm almost like a puppy dog sometimes. I'm just like, Hey, like we're best friends, let's have a conversation. Or I'll get caught up into like half conversations or like these little quick things and not realize that someone is taking it far more seriously than I am. And so the constant need to have a conversation with me isn't really that heavy but it's heavy because the conversations that I am having with people chances are if they're reaching out to me there's something really needed and so for me to to balance this like uh this this life of having a million text messages and trying to live a normal life day-to-day having conversations with people I in a way I don't even balance it it just seems like it's a hundred percent a part of who I am right now in today because I I, Like our whole entire lives are digital. Our whole entire lives are basically on a screen 24-7. And so I do my best that when nighttime comes, my phone's on do not disturb and I'm not texting. I'm not calling. Usually like even on like Sundays, I try not to talk to anyone, not text anyone. But I will look at text messages and, and almost in a way like rate them in importance of like, can this wait? is this really necessary? Does this person actually need me? Like when I was involved in ministry heavily, my text messages were, I mean, it was insane. But the cool, the funny thing is now I'm like FaceTime or no time. If you really want to get a conversation with me, if you really need me, you're going to FaceTime me or you're going to call me. And the people who know me closest know that. They know that I'm never going to answer to a text. They know that I read the text or the only other way to get in contact with me is to like message me on Instagram or somewhere where the message will open and it says seen because then I have accountability. Because in a way, there's really no accountability through text messages. Right. And my wife is actually the person that's like, hey, uh, 10 people texted me today and they're trying to get in contact with you. I'm (laughs) like, yeah, can you answer this for me? So now my wife is actually probably the person who answers more of the messages than I do. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That's like a full-time job. Pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. That is true. Oh, my poor wife.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that is true though. I'm gonna let you taste this coffee and think about it. And then we're gonna we're gonna back 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 up a bit. Very good. And talk about some other things. It's mm-hmm. so the coffee is a Costa Rican that we actually have in my work right now. Okay. Um because I, I didn't have enough beans in my little my bag here at home. That <laughs> um is from a coffee shop called confident that's in johnson
1: i was looking at the bag it was in the kitchen I was, yes I was trying to yeah it.
0: it's really good coffee uh that one is a brazilian but i only had 25 grams mm-hmm. left of it mm-hmm. and this recipe calls for 35 grams Ooh. for the chemex mm-hmm. and so i i got some other beans at work it works yeah a like costa rican I have
1: to bring you some beans. I, I have uh, a large amount of beans just in bags Dude, that I was given. I'd be happy trip. to accept some. <laughs> I think I have a Kenya bean from Devout Coffee that um, he asked me for uh, some feedback on. So I'll have to pass it on to you. you can okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: I should have brought it with me. I should have thought about it.
0: That's <laughs> no, all right. Okay. So we're going to back up. So you're how old at this point?
1: 24.
0: You're 24.
1: Yeah. I turned yeah. 25 this year.
0: Okay. And so, how long you're, we were talking about in before we started recording, but for now, for those listening, how long have you been? You're a BMX rider? Mm-hmm. BMX performer, professional BMX,
1: BMX athlete, whatever you want athlete? to say. Yeah. Matter. Okay. <laughs>
0: how long have you been doing that? And when did it become Whew. a job?
1: Uh, when did it become a job? So, uh, I've started riding in 2013. So, I think. I, I man, terrible at math I'll, almost I'll 10 years it, ago almost 10 years ago yeah so almost 10 years ago would be what 12 years old or no it'd be like 15 years old something like that mm-hmm. uh whatever it is sorry someone's gonna be like this idiot but <laughs> the reality um 2017 is when I went quote unquote pro. It was when I competed in the pro class for BMX. I got my first sponsorships in 2017. I started to take BMX super seriously in 2017. So 2012, 2013 is when I started. And then shortly after that was like, hey, this is going to be something you take very seriously. This is going to be your job. But it wasn't my job yet. I was still working like nine to five type jobs. I was working in production for a winery, worked in the warehouse and had like big boy jobs in a way that kind of was like, I was much needed there as that in that position but I remember like looking at looking back on my life because BMX was never supposed to be like what my life were was going to be like my parents um started me out in the motocross world at age three I started riding dirt bikes and so uh at age six, I had already started breaking my first bones and competing and racing and stuff like that. So Mm. like I said, like BMX was not supposed to be quote unquote my life. But uh, when I looked back on my life and looked at the sacrifice that my family put forth that dream, I looked at BMX like there's no other option. Like I have to do this. And this is like the next best thing for me. Like uh, if you can't afford a dirt bike, chances are you can afford a bicycle. It goes from $12,000 to a couple hundred dollars, you know? So, excuse me. So it was like, it was one of those things that when I went professional in 2017, when it really became, started to become my job, like I was all in, like no matter what, kind of like ran away from home and joined the circus type of the ordeal (laughs) Mm. (laughs) pretty much. In
0: 2017?
1: 2017,
0: yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So you were just like 20 years old. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Whatever, whatever the math is, yeah. you're probably better than yeah. The... And so,
0: so you then were like on the road full time. I mean, you've described a little bit of what your travel schedule is like now. Was mm-hmm. it similar then? So it's interesting. I I was look when I looked back on my life,
1: I always I, I thought about it as like I was supposed to be a somebody mm-hmm. in motocross. Like I I my family dedicated everything to that career, and my family ended up losing everything. And there's plenty of other. Podcasts and messages and things that I speak on that really speak on this And so I don't want to go too crazy into detail of it because I want to encourage people that if they want to know That part of like my life story to go elsewhere and listen to it But I'll obviously talk about it here But it seems like that's like the generic answers that I always give and I never get the opportunity to dive into other parts of my life and so long story short when my family lost everything I kind of looked back on my life like I was supposed to be a somebody like I said before and so the there wasn't this immediate like okay we're traveling six months out of the year four months out of the year whatever it is like it wasn't immediate I was like okay this is calling to me and I need to get it done and I gotta do it I remember uh, there was this big contest that was coming up and I was looking at it like man like uh, this would be like my pro debut like this would be for me like I like it's open qualifier so basically I can I can show up and uh, actually no, it was closed qualifier, so it wasn't open qualifier. Open qualifier meaning anyone can show up and they can enter and if they can compete, they can. I ended up uh, getting in contact with someone that was running this big event and straight up, he was like, he's like, register for the event and um, we'll review you and we'll see if you fit like the, the people that we think are ready for this type of event and I ended up getting accepted, so I went and I flew to California. And um, it was for this big event called Toyota Triple Crown. And technically, if if it was in 2016, 2016, I, I don't think I was really ready for it. But I was like, I might as well just go now. And I did decently well. I didn't do the best, but it just showed me like, hey, I'm capable of doing this. And I went back home and... I was looking at the trip that I just went on. I was with the best BMX riders in the world. We were having all this fun. We were doing this crazy stuff. And it's like things that I had dreamt about. Like, I would love to travel for a living. I would like, I, it was my dream to be on the road and see different places. Like, it was just, it meant everything to me. So in 2016, 2017, that time, I was working a job that I absolutely hated. And I remember having this like breakdown moment. And I just sat there. In this aisle at work and I was like man like it my life I was supposed to be a somebody and I'm here and like I got I just went on this cool trip and all this stuff's happening like man like this sucks like why am I here I was like you know what God like if you're even real like if you even exist I pray that you just open the door of my life and I'll take whatever door opens and I'll go And it was that same exact day that I got an email from Monster Energy um, that I accepted like a three year contract deal with them to do their athlete support program. And like to me, like to a lot of riders, it doesn't mean that much, but to me, I was like, this is my foot in the door. Like this means a lot to me. And it was like my sign to dive straight in and just go. And so I quit my job that day and just started to ride like a lot, like in a week later, after I put God first in my bio on Instagram, like because I was like, "Oh man, I believe in God now," or like I'm, I have this relationship with the Lord. Like uh, that's what Christians do is put God first in their bio. That's right. how I, that's how I'll know that people will know that I'm a Christian. Uh-huh. And I laugh at that now because by the guy by the name of John Andrus, which owns this company called The Stuntage, which is the team that I ride for now, he reached out to me. and he Goes, "Hey, dude, like I noticed you have God first in your bio on Instagram. Like, uh, how would you like to come do like two weeks of shows with us in South Carolina?" And at this time, I, I, had no, I had no real understanding of what shows were. All I understood was contests and X Games and Nitro Circus, all these things that were basically the platforms for action sports. Mm-hmm. And so when I got that DM on Instagram and that opportunity, it literally was like the bomb dropped on me. Like the Lord was just like, here's your door, take it. And so I took that door and I had no idea that that two weeks of shows would turn into the rest of the year and like a month turned into two months and three, then four then five. And it was just like, Hey, you should come out to Joplin, Missouri. Hey, you should, uh, come out to Michigan. Hey, you should come here. Hey, you should come there. Hey, come spend a week with us at the ramp farm and come just train. And it was that moment on that it was like an addiction. And it was just like, this is what my life is supposed to look like. And from that point on in 2017 to now, it has been my full-time
0: job and that's all I've ever done and be from, from, twenty seventeen now has been full time BMX. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Thanks. <laughs> so speaking of diving right in, we're gonna dive right into Sweet like Let's do more of this. So you you mentioned saying to God, if you're even real, mm-hmm. do something or open a door. Yeah. Essentially. Um so back up to before that, what mm-hmm. why would you even throw that question into the universe so (laughs) So. like did you have a concept or a certain idea of what god was or Mm -hmm. who god was from growing up Mm -hmm. and why did you even need to say if (laughs) if you're real (laughs) if you're there what did that look like for you at you know so 17 20 years old i guess 1920 yes yeah Yeah.
1: like that 1920 it's funny because man I felt like, in a way, I've never been given a choice to believe in God or not to believe in God. And, like, I don't really bring this up too much, but um, when I was three years old, uh, my family lost me. I drowned when I was three, and uh, my family found me at the bottom of the pool, gone. And my dad and my family, or my whole my whole family, was uh, Catholic. They didn't grow up in the Christian church. It wasn't—God uh, wasn't was just, like, a thing— that we entertained rather than what we believed in. It was more of like a way of life. Like we go to mass and we go to, we do our communion, we do this. And so as a child, I never understood the seriousness or the, I just didn't really understood God. It didn't make sense to me. It was like something that we chose to do or some chose to believe in. Whatever it was, it was stories. It was it. it I I didn't care. I was riding dirt bikes. I like it didn't matter to me. Right. But that when I drowned when I was three years old, um, that there was something that happened and was what we like to call a miracle. I was found at the bottom of the pool. My mom dove into the pool, picked me up, and she found me lifeless in her in her hands, and my dad. Uh, didn't It wasn't really religious at the time or didn't really believe at the time. And come to find out now, like um, recently we had a conversation and we kind of dove into that, what happened. And my dad said that he just prayed and made a deal with God. And now it's, it, it's crazy to look back on because of how crazy my life looked after drowning that my dad felt like in a way that he couldn't call upon God again after this moment. Mm. And so he called upon him he's like my son like need everything that like the th- the only thing i needed in my life the thing that you gave me like i messed up and he's dead laying on the floor and my like i was gone and my mom and my dad said that the moment that uh i or my dad said like amen like he prayed this prayer like god like just begging and pleading with god he said that i like woke up and just started throwing up water And like, I still remember to this day, like I can picture it right now. I remember falling into the pool. I remember the heaviness on my chest. I remember that feeling of a last breath. I remember trying to get out of the pool. Like I remember seeing the pool from where I was above the pool and everyone's like, Oh, you see a light? Like, this, this?" I'm like, I remember the presence of light. And that's something I, uh, it will stick with me for the rest of my life. So I had this understanding that I was here for a reason as time went on, like, after I was three and, or after I was three, when this whole thing happened, I had this strong understanding of who I was and that I was here for a reason, but I didn't know what that reason was. I didn't know if it was God or whatever. I didn't really understand that, the the idea of a miracle up until I was six, seven, eight years old when uh, we had to call upon God again for another injury or another crazy, crazy situation. So it's like I had this unknowing relationship with God and It will stick with me for the rest of my life i remember this feeling uh, this presence of light and this comforting feeling but something that has stuck with me for for so long that i never really i never really bring up because people always want to question this and question that and so i've always kept it near and dear to my heart but i remember this voice saying he's not done yet he's going to do great things and later on in life right when we lost my grandfather, he said that word for word. He goes, you're not done yet. You're going to do great things. And it was just this like, it was like a reminder from age three to then when we lost my grandfather, I think at age like seven, maybe I'd I have to fact check myself, but it was like a reminder like, Hey, I'm here. I'm like, I'm knocking on your door. Like you don't know me yet, but you will. And you'll know what I've done for you. And so to To go into this spiel of, like, God, if you're even real, when I was 18 or 19 years old, is because when my family lost everything in 2008, uh, we were just transitioning into the Christian church, and that's when I started to learn the, the stories of the Bible about David and Goliath and this, that, the other. I started to learn the gospel of Jesus, and I said the Lord's Prayer, and I uh, accepted the Lord in my heart, but it wasn't meaningful. It was like, everyone's doing it, so I should do it. And so... Um, I had this strong understanding of a higher power or God or whatever it was. But when my family lost everything, I blamed the church for what they did and didn't do. Mm. And I blamed people because they took advantage of my family rather than help my family and my family went from having everything to having nothing in a year's time my family lost their house business I was my, my dad was diagnosed with cancer we lost my grandfather to leukemia and I was in the hospital fighting for my life for one of the worst motocross injuries that we ever had all in one year and that's 100% a fact and I go through my family I go to my family all the time I'm like hey did this really happen like And they they say, yeah, we go through the timeline to make sure that in these types of these opportunities, when I get to share these stories, that I am telling the truth. And so when I had that moment of like, God, are you even there? Like, if you're even real, it was kind of like, I was so broken and so lost. And like, all of these crazy things that have happened to me, like, Lord, you brought me back to life when I was three years old. Lord, you healed me when I was seven years old. Lord, you healed me again when I was 11 years old. Lord, like, you... You had my family's back you you healed my dad of cancer you did all of these things and like I haven't done one thing for you I haven't lived my life for you and it was like now I, I see that my 18 year old self crying out because I knew that there was more I knew that there was something else I knew that there was something I was supposed to be doing and I was failing to do it I wasn't doing it the pleading to God of like if you're even real it was in a way that I wasn't making a deal with God but I was telling God like God like I will do whatever it is that you need me to do. I'll go wherever it is you need me to go if you just have my family's back, like if you just protect them or give me something that I can help them with because like they gave me everything and I truly still to this day believe like I'm supposed to give it all back and that's a kind of a, a pressure that I put on myself but it motivates me every single day to continue to push forward or to get things done that I truly feel called to do. And so to answer your the question that you asked me, it was just like I knew I was supposed to open up. I knew I was supposed to recognize the Lord. Like I, I had heard about him enough and I've entertained him enough, but I was like it was time for me to step into his world and step into his will
0: basically. Was there a shift pretty quickly that happened or was it slow at the, uh, after that? I'd like to say
1: it's like a light switch. Either I'm on or I'm off. And, that, and that's truly how I live my entire life. It's like either I'm 100% in or I'm 100% out. I'm not really half in, half out. I definitely don't see there being a immediate change of like decisions that I was making. That was definitely uh, the long game for sure. It was definitely one of those things where it was slowly, little by little, as I drew near to the Lord, the Lord drew near to me. And so certain things that... I thought I could never live without. I was living without. There was certain music I wasn't li- listening to. There were certain people I stopped hanging out with. There was these these ambitions and these desires that slowly started to pull away. And because I, I think it was just because I was so desperate and I was just like so invested into making something out of myself or whatever it was that I just was just completely obedient to the, to the Lord at that moment in time. And so that obedience just... I guess in a way there was a lot of immediate things that happened around me but personally in my own heart my own mind I'm still learning like I'm still growing and it definitely wasn't um very quickly like oh man I made that decision and then holy cow my eyes have opened up and my whole life has changed but in reality it just gave my life meaning it gave the hard times and the things that I went through a purpose and an understanding to why those things happened and to me that was like Way more beneficial to understand that why than any like internal change that I really had at that moment in time. Mm-hmm.
0: So, but still learning, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, we never stop learning. <laughs> oh, no. I, I love that you bring up though that it, it gave meaning to the things you had already been through. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the word for me that has been really um, important over the last six eight nine months something like that has been the word remember Mm. um and without having to unless you want me to dive into the story of why that happened just the we learn from what happens right we Mm -hmm. learn from the past we learn from our experiences that's what makes us who we are everybody whoever whoever you are or, or whatever you like you have to reckon with the fact that you've become that through a process. I am who I am because of the things that I've been through. And it's tempting when you're going through the things that are hardest Mm. to push back against it, to say, why me? To to just, I mean, in a sense, complain or talk to God as if he's not there because something hard is happening. But inevitably, for me, uh, I say inevitably, I don't necessarily think of it that way in the moment, or I haven't in the past. Mm-hmm. But I am the most thankful for those things, yeah. those hard things, when I look back on them now. Um, I remember having a conversation with my friend Dallas about um, what we were talking about as roller coaster highs. Hmm. We were talking about why you seem to remember things more clearly that were really hard and not enjoyable in the moment, mm-hmm. but yet the roller coaster highs of the past mm-hmm. we don't remember. Mm-hmm. Like you can go to an amusement park and to to take the analogy into a literal place, you can go to an amusement park and get on a roller coaster mm-hmm. and ride that thing and experience those G's for a few seconds, pulling yeah. your body back into the seat. As soon as that ride is over, you are forgetting that experience. It's It's not meaningful. It didn't change your life. Mm -hmm. It's it's a high that lasts for a moment and is gone. Mm. And yet, I can look back at um, traveling to find my home here in Arkansas Mm. that... I remember in the moment, mm-hmm. in the time that I was doing it, was really hard. I was very, very lonely. I had no idea where I was going to end up. I didn't have any place that I called home. Mm-hmm. I didn't have people around me. I didn't have family or community with me. And I was depressed, and I was thinking either I'm going to find a home or I'm going to take my life because I don't have anything. Yeah. And I look back now at that time, just that month span that felt like years and I'm so grateful for it. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful that I got through that and that God brought me to something else and that I can remember it. Because mm-hmm. it's tempting too, I think, when when we're in the hardest places to almost wish we could not, not only not be there, but just forget it ever happened. Yeah. But I think that's, it would do ourselves such a disservice mm-hmm. to forget the hard things we've been through mm-hmm. That have shaped us so much. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned that it, it gave you meaning. It yeah. gave meaning to those things. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk more though about why? Like, how, how did you find that hmm. meaning in all this crap that had come before? Mm-hmm. Why did? Why was there a shift now where your perspective maybe was different about <laughs> what those things meant?
1: So it's it's crazy because now, at this moment in time, so 18, 19-year-old self, this is not the way that I was thinking, but the way that I think now is uh, testing produces steadfastness, the testing of our faith. But the the other thing is First Peter, I think First Peter 5, it talks about how, do not be surprised when the fiery child comes upon you to test you as if those strange things were happening to you, but rejoice in so far that you get to share in Christ's sufferings. So through our faith, through what I believe in now, I I look at the stories in the Bible and I, and in every story in the Bible, there was something that was going on that was tragic. And there was something that was going on that if that didn't happen, this wouldn't have happened. And it's like, if we look at the gospel, if we look at what happened to Jesus, we do not praise Jesus and praise God because of him turning water into wine. We praise him because he was brutally beaten and executed. So that one day that we would be able to have this relationship with the Lord. And, he showed that he showed so much grace for us that through this beating, through the, through <laughs> through him dying on a cross and being resurrected from the dead was like, now we get that door opened for us. And so I, I look at it in comparison to the Lord now because I I find meaning in it because I don't want to be angry about it. I don't want to be stressed out about it and I don't want to say like, this happened to me then so I can't do this now and that was the biggest thing like my one of the biggest things that I dealt with when I when I was at that age of 18 19 17 18 19 was trying to prove people wrong it was always that and so i i remember i was dating a girl at the time and they they looked at the BMX career as a joke they didn't care they looked at it as something that was just like our daughter's going to be successful and she is successful good for her but like we don't want our daughter to uh, basically take care of you and so you either have to go to college or break up with our daughter and she looked at me and she's like hey I don't want to be with anyone that has no future and so I looked at my life and I was just like I'm gonna prove you wrong and so they didn't understand the seriousness of what happened to my family they didn't care and I looked at that I was like the, the meaning to for me and to when my family lost everything or all these issues that I was dealing with and just relationships stuff, everything. I was like, there has to be a reason behind it. And it's making me into who I am today. So I rather value it and use it to help other people rather than ignore it and act like it's never there because it is far more, it's far easier to face it and to, and to figure out why and to understand why, or to just accept it rather than tucking it deep down and letting it creep up every once in a while, because then Mm -hmm. it has power over you. And it's like, uh, all uh, all evil ha- it will come to the darkness eventually, but the thing, the, the interesting thing is, uh, in John, uh, right after John three sixteen, it, it's interesting that one of the most famous verses of the Bible. It goes into this detail about how, like, like the everyone like people hate the hate the light because their evil ways will be exposed, and so in a way, if we shine light into the evil parts of our life. Satan doesn't want that. He doesn't he doesn't want you to understand that God was really there the whole time. He doesn't want you to find purpose in it because the only thing that you identify that struggle is with pain or is with why I can't do something. And so I don't want anything to ever have that much of a, a hold on my life. And so for me, I guess I was just I had a strong understanding of who I was and I just needed to have a a stronger understanding of why this happened and why I am the way that I am every single day. And so for for me, I guess the, the long the long running around of the sto- of the question is just like I don't know, I just had to to dive in. I just knew that I was supposed to help other people with this and I just needed to find something to push off on because the interesting thing about being on rock bottom is like you have something to push off of. And I mm. just knew that there was reasoning behind everything. You can't look at you can't look at the world and be like, Oh, it just is. That is so stupid. Some of the most fa- like famous or some of the most smartest people in the world are like, it just is. In reality, look at this room. Look at the world. Tell me something that has not been created. It's like there means that there has to be an ultimate creator because everything has started from something. And the interesting thing is it's like I I can't go back and see my past, but I know it exists. And it's the same exact thing as air. H- how can you prove something that doesn't you can't see? I knew that I was there. I have that memory. And we can prove the existence of air because... You hear that. You feel it. And so for me, my past is something that I feel rather than I see. I constantly am reminded by my scars. I'm reminded by my interactions. And I see my struggle from the past through other people. And I feel it. And I understand it. And I know that whatever it is that I may have faced, faced, chances are it's going to be used to be help someone else that's in that same situation or before they get to that situation. So, yeah, it was long, but yeah
0: <laughs> that's a good perspective to hold on trials mm-hmm. do you do you think in your estimation as as objectively as you can answer do you think you do a reasonably good job practically on the day-to-day of holding that holding that perspective
1: yeah honestly yeah, yeah. I, I there's definitely times in my life in very dark moments where I looked at my life and I was like yep this is it I'm done I quit I quit life like I from my family losing everything there was uh, and and bullying and things that I dealt with at a young age I was suicidal at 11 years old like I knew what suicide was and I knew where a gun was and I knew I could take my own life I started having spiritual weird attacks at 11 years old and I think it was really because of the, the I, this is obviously speculation but I definitely think it was because of the things that the lord did for me and it's like why why not why would satan want me to tell anything that anything that glorifies god he would love for me to be quiet about a miracle or be quiet about hardship because then there's then there's no reason for it. Then it's like, yep, I, it sucks. So every single day I do my best to just be thankful and just be motivated and say, hey, God, use me right where I am. Because like, you never know what someone's going through and you never know who you're going to meet. So chances are whatever it is that you're going through is going to help someone else if you just are open to having that conversation about it.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. that's inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> It makes me think of something, too, that I, honestly, I tend to not like to talk a whole lot mm-hmm. on this podcast. <laughs> I, I feel like there's, there's the part of my brain that's like, get out of the way, Joel, we'll stay in the background. Um, <laughs> but I this is a platform for me to share, get to share things as well, mm-hmm. um, and I'm happy to do that. But you bring up that um, there's speculation involved, but... Of course, the question, why would Satan want to watch this person succeed and go through life and get to talk about what God has done? Mm-hmm. Um, I try to be a, re- a very practical person in, mm-hmm. I mean, pretty much every area of life. One of those is in how I look at the spiritual world and and um, interact with it and with, with this world that we, we live in. And i'm always thankful to get to have the conversation around what the the a deeper reality of what we're living in which is that there's a spiritual war happening Mm -hmm. and it manifests in a lot of different ways and a lot of them we can see and hear and touch um in uh the life group that you've been to Mm -hmm. we were talking through several weeks ago we were talking through the end of Peter's first letter. And in that letter, he asks the church to cast all their anxieties on the Lord because he cares for them. And he tells them to be alert and sober-minded because their enemy, the devil, prowls around like Mm, a a lion looking for someone to devour. Uh, That's pretty extreme. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, one One of the guys, Parker, brought up that It makes sense that right before that statement, he tells people to to cast their anxieties on God. Yeah. Because if you recognize, if your eyes are open, you're alert to what's going on in the world, and you recognize there's a lion who wants to eat you. Yeah. uh, You're being hunted. Yeah, you're being hunted. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: You're going to have some anxieties. You're going to have some things to give up to God as someone who you know you can depend upon. Yeah. And... We um, we just talked about what that would mean if we lived our lives in that way, yeah. recognizing where the enemy is and what battles look like. Mm. And then I started having, and had been for a little bit, and it just felt like it was getting amped up, just attack on my mind and mm-hmm. all the anxieties and fears coming up in me. Um, that was very rough. And it took me like, a week or two weeks of that happening to sit back and be like, wait a minute, <laughs> this kind of feels like an attack. Mm. And then to ask questions like, what would that mean? What does that mean for me if the enemy looks at my life and says, we need to knock him over right now? Mm-hmm. Um, there's passages all over scripture about um, letting suffering like produce a good work in you. Let let trials bring you to a place of fruition. Mm-hmm. Um and obedience. It's the writer, I think, to the Hebrews says that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. Exactly. Um, which is another conversation that'd be a very interesting one to have. But it's interesting to me to put a practical spin on it and say there's a war going on and there's battles happening all the time, and we ought to be able to notice when they're happening. Mm hmm. And think about what that means Hmm. like so much of these battles are won in the world because half the world walks around with their eyes closed Mm -hmm. that this is all there is right this is all there is it's just here by chance i'm here by chance it's just about you know going out and having a good time carpe diem and you're dead and gone and that's all that matters Mm -hmm. and the enemy wins when you take that stance Mm -hmm. you're not you're not using what you've been given. You're not using your past and your experiences to bring light and truth into mm-hmm. the world like you can mm-hmm. if if you're walking around with your eyes closed. <laughs> and it's incredible that we even have the opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. Through what Christ has done, not only do we have life, but we get, we can have our eyes open to what death looks like too. Yeah, Man, it's horrible how much of it, we're confronted with yeah and more than that that not just that it's there but that so many of us are just unaware of it Mm -hmm. i mean we probably both interact with people on a daily basis who do not know god Mm -hmm. and who are walking through life essentially with eyes closed and not knowing what their purpose is not knowing what any intrinsic value is that's in their life or, or where their meaning comes from <laughs>
1: That's so sad. But there's an interesting thing through that, and like, uh, and it's like, it's kind of like creating a little bit of a light bulb in me when you're saying this, because when people walk around with their eyes closed, uh, in the sense of what you're saying, it's like you make Satan's job super easy. Why would he ever need to torment or bother someone who doesn't believe in God? Mm-hmm. You're gonna? Are you going to? Is he going to make their life easier? Probably, because that keeps them away from the Lord. But here's the interesting thing. Why is it that Jesus was tempted? Why is it that it's supposed to produce steadfastness in our faith? Why is it that the Bible says that we are not, we can't be tempted beyond our means and God always gives us a way out? So that means that part of this struggle or temptation or whatever it is, it can it's not always just Satan trying to get at us but it's also God knocking on our door it's God testing us and in my opinion it's God testing us and so people that walk around with their eyes closed the lord is trying maybe the lord's trying to reach them let's say but they blame god for something that's going on even though they don't like believe in him they're like oh yeah this whatever screw you man whatever it is and like they they fall farther away from the lord rather than Going to the Lord, and it's like the people who are at fault isn't God. The people who is, is, is at fault isn't Satan. It isn't God. It's not. It's not spiritual. It's more people related. Uh, Justin Bieber said something. He goes, "My look on Christianity was from the people that I was around that called themselves Christian, and I wanted nothing to do with what they believed in because of the people that they were that they were." And so, I fault myself every single time. When people are struggling with something and I try to go go to them about the Lord and they're super denying of it because of the decisions that they've seen me make. And so it's like this slippery slope of like, man, like if you only knew how much God loved you, if you mm-hmm. only knew that there was a reason that you were suffering, if you only knew that, like, that there's, there's something good that's gonna come out of this, it's like, but we make Satan's job super easy when we just deny it all to begin with. I know so many people right now that, believe in nothing, and live an amazing life, like a worldly life. And it's a bummer that this is the only life that they'll get to live unless they open that door. The interesting thing about our relationship with the Lord or our religion or our faith, whatever it is that you want to call it, I like to go through the the list of it because people are so controversial through these types of subjects. But the one the one thing that I we have have realized recently is that the door to the heart opens from the inside and God is the one who knocks and we're the person who opens the door. God's love is not forceful. God's love is kind. God's love is peaceful. God is 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 a hug. Nothing about the Lord is him banging on that door. And so it's difficult for people to open that door due to fear or due to just living with their eyes closed. It's like Cause, because then their evil works will be exposed The things that they thought were perf- perfectly fine. There will be a sense of conviction, but then that's where Satan comes in to try and do condemning, doing a strong disapproval. Because as soon as you recognize it, there's never a point in your life where you'll not recognize it. And that's what's really scary about mm. the war between people's life is because they see God, they un- have an understanding, like, whoa, this could be real, and then they can never unsee it. And so they close their eyes and they just act like it's not real anymore. It's like if I close my eyes, I plug my ears, I can't see it, It doesn't exist. But but in reality, you know it exists, and that's where we're at right now as a society, especially when it comes to social media, especially when it comes to just people's lives. Is like people hide behind filters, people hide behind this mask of like everything's okay. If I close my eyes and I shut my ears, and that's it. And to people who don't believe in God, that might be listening, I'm just like, man, like that's a sad place. To be in that you think that a per- this world that is so perfectly balanced in the universe just came from nothing it just exploded and it's just like you it, it takes more to believe in nothing than it is to believe in something so it's just it's weird I know I'm going on a little bit of a tangent but it's just like it irks me it really mm-hmm. does and I, maybe that's because I never got a choice to not have faith at some point in time but I mean I went down a horrible road I've done some disgusting and terrible things and I still believed in the Lord, and I went through a lot of hell because of those decisions. But like, I just don't, I just don't get it. Sometimes it's just weird. I've been in so many conversations with people that, like, they don't believe in anything, and there's nothing that you can say or do or any amount of prayer that's going to change their mind. It seems like it's like a conversation. Um, if you believe that it's not a child when it's aborted, then the conversation ends there. There's no, there's nothing that I can say that changes that and so it's kind of similarity to how we look at the world and how we interact in
0: this world so it is sad though that is Mm -hmm. for sure isn't it (laughs) yeah now that's been something that i've i've thought about a lot in my life but more recently it's been coming around to the front of my mind again it's just the idea that that no one can get help that they don't want Mm Mm-hmm um you can take all sorts of examples whether it's just you're not doing well emotionally or you need help spiritually or you need help physically um if you close your eyes to that fact or you're not willing to accept it it doesn't matter what people offer to you um i had this conversation with a friend just using the example of the workplace mm-hmm. um because most of us have probably worked with or been the person who just is not interested in improving. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And so when people offer constructive criticism or offer help, it doesn't go anywhere. Mm. I I think I've been learning as far as just more life lesson things, when to keep my mouth shut and not talk because a lot of the time people want to complain about life and really just be listened to or have someone else kind of chime in and commiserate with them, but they don't want someone to offer a solution. And since I'm not interested in commiserating with meaningless complaints, <laughs> it's easier to just stay quiet. These are not necessarily easier. It's I have more tendencies to want to talk and to say things and to offer a response than to just be quiet and listen. But the phrase, everyone ought to be quick to listen, mm-hmm. um, slow to anger and slow to speak, mm-hmm. comes back to me. And just how much th- there is wisdom in just keeping silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like true. the proverb that um, even the fool who keeps silent is thought wise when he doesn't speak. <laughs> um and it's just a reality though recognizing who who actually wants to grow and who wants to learn mm-hmm. and how can we be a benefit in, in that way mm-hmm. because if i go to someone and i want to offer life and they're not interested in having it i can't do anything for them right yeah. if they choose not to believe that or if they do not desire it and they're gonna they're gonna hold it off mm-hmm. and i'm casting pearls before swine i'm yeah. not using what i've been given where it's actually going to produce fruit yeah um oh. that's a very christianese phrase and i don't like to use that very but much it, but
1: but the way that you presented that is very it speaks to me which is like a rarity when i hear that i'm like oh man because you you actually worded that in a way that made me understand it better because like when you think about it when i like even when i going back to when i said like the the door to the heart god knocks we open it statistically there's a there's an amount of times that someone has to hear the gospel or has to be presented the gospel for them to ever truly really accept it and so it's like when you say that I think of the people who right now are listening that have a family member that they've been trying to get God to reach or whatever it is and they put themselves first as if like there's something that I'm doing wrong and this is why they won't receive the Lord but it's like you can't move where God is supposed to. Right. And so there's so much power in prayer and it's like, you know what? God has a perfect will and a perfect timing and chances are if he's not using you, he will use someone else. So keep trying, keep, just keep pressing into the Lord. Don't press into the person. Because like I said, God does not bang on that door. And sometimes we get so, I don't want to say excited, but so like driven in a way that's like, I have to do this. I have to save my dad. I have to save this person or I need to tell people that jesus loves him so i'm running around the street in bentonville screaming at people telling them jesus loves them like it's like chances are that's not gonna work <laughs> interesting
0: though. yeah there's, there's a place for it for some of those people <laughs> i'm not gonna start that that <laughs> let's dive right in about, all right <laughs> all right uh what um place in the world oh, street man. evangelists have oh boy <laughs> so we're gonna cut this podcast short and we're gonna start yeah, another yeah. one <laughs> i'm joking <laughs> Uh, what was 2020 like for you? <laughs> oh man, 2020.
2: Yeah, that
1: uh, that is a question in itself, and a whole lot of answers in between that. I'll tell you what, man. Uh, <laughs> 2020 was probably the best worst year of my entire life. Yeah, I walked into uh, I walked into 2020 thinking it was going to be the best year of my life, and it was. But it was for different reasoning than what I had initially thought. Um, <laughs> I ended up getting involved into the, the freestyle motocross world, which in a sense was uh, a really good idea to me because I was like, oh, man, I love motocross. That's what I grew up doing and race motocross. So how do I combine BMX and dirt bikes? Freestyle motocross. This sounds great. I'd always watch my friends ride and I'd be like, man, I could totally do that. And so in December of 2019, I bought a, uh, I bought a freestyle, I bought a brand new dirt bike and started freestyle motocross. And within the first month of my career, I ended up, um, getting involved with Monster Jam and I got the first opportunity to go do like the big monster truck shows, which is like, in a way is, (laughs) it's like kind of ridiculous because I ended up just kind of diving right in, (laughs) like really just dived right in. And, uh, I, it was the first moment in my life that I realized I was going to make a substantial amount of money that to me could possibly change my family's life. And so I was motivated by money, but it was the first time in my life that I had put strongly put money before God. I had no idea of the scriptures that talked about you can only serve one master. You can't serve God and money. All these different things that were like these really good red flags that I should have known, but I learned them through a tough time, through hardships, through things that had happened. So I walked into 2020 thinking that it was going to be the best year of my life because I was going to make more money. and knew what to do with. I think I was like nine or 10 months booked fully of shows. I really think that I only was going to be home for like Thanksgiving and Christmas. The rest of it was just going to be full on traveling all over the world, show after show after show. And I remember it was February 10th. uh, And it was a weird day because I ended up waking up and I went to um, this place called, uh, this place that my buddy Tom Parson owns. And he is a uh, freestyle motocross guy, he's X Games gold medalist like six times for best whip and all this stuff and um we were out at his facility and like I said it was a weird day and uh I remember I was like trying to get some practice in for the next show and I was like super pumped that I got this opportunity to do these shows and in reality like I wasn't ready but I could do just enough tricks to perform. I could do just enough and I was making like fifteen hundred bucks for like four minutes of my riding on a dirt bike and I'm like this is sweet. Heck yeah and I was practicing and I was supposed to do something to my bike and I ignored it and I went and rode anyway. And when you do freestyle motocross, uh, if anyone's listening that does it, they're going to laugh because they don't realize it. But you can't really hear your bike when you're in a stadium. Like you feel the vibration of the bike. It's so loud. There's so much going on that you go off of the sound to know that your bike's running well, to know that you're going fast enough. And it's a feeling. But like I was training myself to basically, as soon as I turn the corner to jump this jump, that No matter what when I turn I'm going like there's no room for error And so I trained my mind to do that and I was doing that that day on February 10th I was just kind of jumping the jump and making sure that No matter what it was if the sun wasn't at the right place the wind blew the wrong way if it was someone yelling at me something like that Like I was jumping the jump no matter what and I was just kind of training my mind And I did a trick and landed it perfectly. I did it again, landed it perfectly. And I saw my buddy Tom walk around from the tree line and he was like, had his phone out. I'm like, it's Tom Parsons. Like, I'm gonna do this trick again and it's gonna be sweet. I do it again, land it. And I remember, I can't remember if he was like one more or he was like still filming like for his Instagram story or whatever. And I turned the corner and something told me don't turn the corner, like don't do it. And I knew, I was like, oh, this is just a test. All right, turn the corner, turn the corner, jump the jump, fell. And um, I hit the ground and uh there's a moment that you're in the air and i knew i was gonna fall i was at the peak it's 75 foot jump so you're like 30 feet in the air and i was like i knew i wasn't gonna make it i knew i was making a mistake there's three seconds feels like 30 and you can make a decision on what this is about to look like i got stuck off the side of the bike and i knew i was like if i try to bring my leg back over the bike chances are i'm gonna blow my knee out if i land on my on, on the bike If I ditch the bike, it's going to be way worse. The bike's going to get mangled. I'll probably break my arms. I'll do something. Like something bad's going to happen. I'm just going to try and ride it out. So both feet hanging off the side of the bike, 30 feet in the air on a 75-foot jump. I land side saddle on the dirt bike, and I ride away perfectly fine (laughs) and then slide out because of all my weight on one side. And my arm kind of got locked onto my handlebar, and it ripped my shoulder out. And when I mean ripped my shoulder out, it dislocated down into my rib cage. So I ended up tearing my rotator cuff, 100% tear, labrum, 100% tear, and tore my bicep, all in one. My whole arm was a noodle. It was out for like four hours. We couldn't get it back in at the at the track. My, my buddy Tom is like, lay on the floor, lay on the floor, and I'm like, what? He's like, he's like, he's like, actually toss your hand underneath your boot and try and pop it back in. And I'm like, shoulders out. He's like, before the pain sets in, before the pain sets in. So I'm like, trying to yank my shoulder back into place. It won't work. I, he goes, he's like, lay on the floor, lay on the floor. And I'm like, laying on the floor. And he sh- takes his heel and pushes it into my uh, armpit and tries to wrench on it to get it popped back in and it wouldn't get popped back in. When I got, finally got to the ER, it took like four people to pop my shoulder back in. Popped it back in. Within 24 hours, I had my MRI done. I had gone to the doctor, everything was already done. When you break as many bones as I have in a small town, you get in and out very quickly. So I was blessed to have the doctors that I had. and uh, But I was very angry. And I was I knew that the best year of my life was just jeopardized. And I got really angry. But I remember hitting the ground in that earlier when I was talking about that presence of light, I remember that presence of light, that feeling again. And it's and it spoke to me. It said, If you fall and can't get back up, how are you gonna do my will? I learned right then and there that my identity was in Louis the bike rider, Louis the motocross rider, it was, my identity was Louis the athlete, it wasn't centered in Christ, you, it's like, God was saying, like, you do these things for me, but you're not doing it for me, it's like, you're using me, and it's great, it's cool, whatever, and like, you're, you're, my, my word is being spread through what you're doing, but you're not doing it for me, and so, I learned that lesson really the hard way, and uh, I went to the doctor, and when he was reviewing my MRI at my shoulder, he looked at me, and he's like, if I didn't know any better, this would be the shoulder of a 150 year old. And like, it was just kind of a joke, but he's like, I've never seen a shoulder this bad. And he goes, if I can do your surgery, I'm like, if, oh boy. And he's like, if you, if I, if if I can even get this done, like this is going to be serious. Like I'm talking, you might not ever ride a bike again. And I've been told those things before, like through injuries and craziness, but like he was serious and I was seriously like, screw you. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. I was very arrogant and very upset because I was like, a kid that just got his favorite toy taken away. Like I said, it's supposed to be the best year of my life. Like, man, like I could have helped my family and I just made this mistake. Like the being condemned happened immediately. And it just, it broke me. I didn't go to the Lord at all. It was just like this one thing happened and it was just like the whole world just ended. And so I was arrogant, I was mean, I was upset. Ended up, uh, ended up leaving the office. I didn't schedule surgery, which really wasn't smart. And, uh, cause he said like, yeah, next week we can get you into surgery. And I think it was like Friday. So I could have gotten surgery like Monday or Tuesday. And, uh, he, he knew, he knew I was going to be back. He knew I ended up going to another surgeon. They will. I literally walked through the office, like a bunch of people in the office way in. I walked straight in, straight into the the room, sat down, he came and saw me and he looked at my MRI and he goes, I can't do your surgery. He goes, there's no way this is best surgeon in Florida at the time. He goes, there's no way. He goes, if I was you, I would hop on a plane tomorrow and go to California. I'll make a phone call. We'll get you into surgery for Tom Brady surgeon. He goes, he's the best surgeon in the world. Like he's the only person I would trust doing this. And it, it freaked me out, dude. I'm like, why is this? It's like, it's this bad. It's just shoulder surgery. Like, is this bad? And I mean, I couldn't move my arm at all. Like I, if I wanted to put it onto the desk, I had to physically pick it up and put it onto the desk. My arm was a noodle. And Uh, I call my insurance company. They're like, yeah, we'll pay half. You'll have to pay another 75, like 50 50 to $75,000 up front. I'm like, okay, never mind. We're not doing that. And I ended up, um, that was like, so February 10th is when I fell. I think a week later, I ended up going through all this craziness, trying to get stuff figured out and ended up going, he ended up asking me, the best surgeon ended up asking me like, did you see anyone else? I'm like, yeah, I saw such and such. And he goes, what did he say? And I'm like, He's like looking at the papers. He's like, "What did he say?" I'm like, "He said he could do it all orthoscopically and get it done." He goes, "He said that," and he was so totally shocked. He goes, "He's like looking at stuff." He's like, "He's like, but he's like, but this, but this, but that." He goes, "He said it." I'm like, "Yeah." He goes, "I've never had to fix anything that guy's ever done, so chances are he's telling the truth. If he can do it, he can do it." And he goes, "I would trust him. You should do it." So I left there, went straight back to the office that day, scheduled my surgery. And he was just smirking. The guy, my surgeon was a, was an a-hole really. He really was. Cause he's just like this young hothead dude, but he knew what he was talking about. And it was like, don't waste my time. Basically it was his attitude. And, uh, I asked him, I'm like, so, so I have to get surgery. He goes, he goes, you'll never ride a bike again if you don't get surgery. I'm like, so I can't do physical therapy to like ride this weekend. Like I got shows of you, dude, what's your problem? And, uh, he goes. no, we'll we'll schedule it and we'll we'll get it done right. I had no idea that like people were talking about this injury, talking about this surgery. There was surgeons who called me personally from Texas, from New York, saying, "Hey, we can do it. Hey, we can do it. Hey, like I'll put." They even got like religious on me. Hey, man, I, I know that like the Lord is calling me to tell you this, but like we'll put everything back the Lord, how the, how the Lord originally put it. I'm like all this funny stuff, man. Like it was it was a joke. I scheduled surgery for the following week. And, uh, it got pushed back. I'm like, this is weird. Got pushed back again. Uh, two weeks went by and I'm like, okay, all my buddies are doing shows. They're making really good money. All this stuff's going on. Like what's going on? I get a phone call. I'm like, oh sweet. Like my surgery's coming. No, we're canceling your surgery indefinitely until further notice. There's this virus coming through. We don't know what it's going to do, but it's it's law like we can't do it unless it's an emergency. I'm like it's an emergency. I need my shoulder fixed. <laughs> uh yeah, so uh I fell February 10th. I didn't get surgery till like June 26th or something like that. So the worst year of my life had begun. <laughs> Not the best. And uh through COVID, I was I wasn't kind of a I wasn't bullheaded about the idea, but I saw people taking advantage of the government and taking advantage of people Uh, Or taking advantage of the government for money and like I don't fault anyone that was on unemployment You got to do what you got to do sounds good, whatever But like I had friends that were making three times as much money on unemployment than they were making at their real job and In my heart in my mind. I was like I Could not live with myself if I did that if I took a handout and did not need it Like if I really needed it, that's one thing but there's people that are far 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 in a way worse situation than I am right now. So you know what, like I'll spend every bit of my money. I paid every single bill that I had. I, I ran my entire savings dry before I ever took a handout. I didn't get stimulus, I didn't get anything. And I ended up um, going, just going through a living hell. I wasn't going to the Lord about anything. I was just like, I'm on my own basically. I was in a relationship that uh, was completely unhealthy for me like genuinely it was unhealthy like we were toxic for each other. I love the girl to death she was awesome and I made a lot of mistakes she made a lot of mistakes and It but it just drove me down even more drove her down in it even more and it's like I became genuinely extraordinarily just depressed like I just sat in my room all day long in a dark room playing video games all day long i ended up getting really good at video games what means nothing but like i'm one of the best free i'm one of the best players in the supercross game right now in the world so that's cool but it doesn't mean anything <laughs> but like to some people it means
0: a lot apparently to some teenagers it's like a, that's a big deal
1: yeah i'll tell you what it does <laughs> I, i'm i'm actually competing right now for yamaha sponsored event right now i'm competing huh. for top three gets free dirt bikes and stuff like that so it's pretty cool well, But that's all I had. Video games was like the only thing I had. It was like the only way I could say competing and like uh, like doing something that mattered to me. And I just fell into a really deep depression and I looked at my life and I was like, man, the only good thing about this is that when my world stopped, the whole world stopped. So I really wasn't missing out on much. And uh, months went by and still couldn't get surgery. No word of surgery, nothing. Like it was just ghost like I got ghosted from the surgeon from the surgical center, and uh we were at um one of my buddies' uh funerals actually, and uh yeah, he passed away way too young it was super, just, a, just a big bummer, but I was like m i a from everyone like there was no, i did not talk to anyone. I made one Instagram post about what had happened and didn't talk to anyone after that and uh it was the first time like a lot of people had seen me in a while, and so Immediately when people saw me, especially in my hometown, there was an immediate attraction to have a conversation. And so it just was awkward. And it was like, we're at my friend's funeral and you guys are asking me about my life. Like, I was so angry. And uh, we ended up, one of this pastor came to me and he ended up wanting me to like, ask me about a young adults group. He was like, oh, yeah, we want a young adults presence at our church, this other, whatever. And at the time, I was like, I want nothing to do with church. I still, even, like, through riding and through being involved in ministry, my ministry was on the road. I was closest to God when I was traveling, when I was just, just getting after it with the stunt dudes and with Real Encounter. Like, these guys that were, like, just real deal, man. And they taught me everything. From that moment, like, from the time I first did that show and with the stunt dudes, they basically groomed my relationship with the Lord and my faith and what I believe in. That's great. And it was super healthy because they are just strong-willed and they know their theology and it's like, it's simple. They don't get so extravagant to where it's like, I can't understand. They really, like they really like treated me well and like helped me. And so at that moment in time, I still wasn't even going to an actual established church and this guy, this pastor was from the church that my family used to go to when my family lost everything. So immediately I'm already red flagging it. And uh, my mom, I don't know was like, why don't you just give him a chance? Like, go have lunch with him. I'm like, whatever, I'll get a free lunch. Sounds good. Like I ended up going and having lunch with him. And it was an awkward conversation because I started the converse- conversation off with just kind of angry already. Like I didn't want to be there. My first words to him were, if you think that you know me, you do not. I'm not a young kid anymore. I've been through a lot, and chances are you have no idea who I am, so don't act like you know who I am. And I was just honestly just being straight up. And uh, I was like, what do you want? And we had this conversation about a young adult's ministry, about this, about that, and what he needed, and I guess what I needed as well. And uh, I got the opportunity um, to start a ministry at their church. And at first I'm like, hell no absolutely not. There is no way in God's green earth that I'm fit to be leading a ministry, let alone wanting to be involved in your church. And like, I was just kind of like, heck no in my mind. And then that same feeling came over me again. It's like, this is what you're going to do. And that feeling of like, if you can't get back up, like if you can't walk again, like how are you going to do my will? How are you going to live your life for me? And something came over me. I remember, I remember word for word saying it. I was like, (laughs) The only thing that I can say is I'm not starting a young adults group. I'm starting a ministry, and I got to name it. And he goes, deal.
2: <laughs>
1: we called it Rove, R-O-V-E, to wander without a set destination. And I remember the first time we went or we started it, it was like five or six people, and I had no idea that like two of the people that I would start that with will forever be like some of my closest friends. And um, we'll basically had no idea that by those two people, we would go basically to battle the world together, basically, it seems like. And uh, it's turned into a small group to a full service. The the ministry changed the entire church, it seemed like. And uh, I started really pressing into this idea of like, okay, like, I'm a complete imperfect individual that believes in the Lord. I'm like, you know, I'm pretty close to what the disciples were like, so... I guess I could be fit for this position. And I started to press into the Lord. I started to find my faith again, started to find my feet again. And through that, when I was trying to find my feet, it was almost like this pure moment that I was helping other people find their feet. So I wasn't on a pedestal looking down at someone. I was equal to the people that I was involved with. And we were learning together. As I was teaching, I was learning. And it was a very like humbling experience because... I never said anything without just going to the Lord, like everything I did, everything I said, any conversation, any Bible verse, I was always like, Lord, just move me out of the way, use me, move me out of the way, use me. And it was insane because I ended up, uh, the when COVID was going on, we were still meeting in small groups and stuff like that, but it, the, I had not spoken at the church publicly, like I wasn't like a pastor role or anything like that. I think it was fri- one of the Fridays of the week and I was out skateboarding and I was skateboarding at a skate park that was completely off the grid like it was in the middle of nowhere. I knew no one would notice me. I knew no one would like want to have a conversation with me. It was the one skate park that I knew that no one would be at basically. And because if I go to a local park, skate park by me at where I live in Florida or lived in Florida, it's going to be chaos. Like people that I know, friends, whatever it is, it's it's, it's going to be chaos. And so I was skateboarding because I knew I didn't need my right arm to skateboard because it was just limp. It was all messed up. And I was the only person in the skate park riding around, but there was this really big like muscle builder kind of guy, just big dude just sitting on the, the bench outside of the park. But the way that the park was, it was like you had to walk over a bridge to get into it, so it was almost like a gully that went around it. And so he was sitting in the, in the skate park just sitting there, big smile on his face, just looking around, peaceful perfect day and uh he like starts yelling at me he's like what's up dude and i'm like oh, what's going on man he goes like hey like what you to- hey, how you doing man i'm like doing good like this is weird he goes you're not a, bi- you're not a skateboarder are you you're a bike rider and i like looked at him I'm like what the heck <laughs> and uh and i was like that's that's weird all right and i kind of ignored it and I, but i ended up going to him and sitting down with him and uh we just started talking about the lord immediately he started asking me all these questions. He asked me, "He's like, what do you know about entertaining angels?" And I'm like, "Oh, well, I believe in it, and the Bible, and this, that, and the other. My mom, and I've had some experiences with 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 angels. We believe, and I don't know, like I, I can, I I believe in it." And he's like, "Oh, cool." So, man, like this, that, and the other. We just like he just kind of like moved on from the conversation, and uh, we just start talking about just anything you can imagine, from the Black Lives Matter movement to uh, church to how he wished that there was a son of his in Texas that the ministry could wander to. And it was like all these weird things that hinted to the ministry that i had already started. And it was just kind of this welcoming, comforting feeling that I've recognized from the Lord. And I had told him like, man, I was supposed to, I'm supposed to speak this Sunday. Like they're doing a live stream or whatever. It's kind of awkward because I've never spoke to a congregation before. And like, even on live stream, it's going to be even more awkward. And so I don't know, man, this is just weird. And, he just cut, like, just stops me dead in my tracks, and he's like, "You know why I'm here?" And I'm like, "I have no idea." And he's like, "I sit on the opposite side of this park every morning, and God told me to sit here to talk to you. And when he, when like, even when I say that right now, I remember it. I can feel it. To talk to you, and the Lord wants me to relay a message to you that whatever it is that you're going to say, you're going to say it, and it's going to change someone's life. And he gave me this big hug. He prayed over me and I remember him telling me, he's like, I can't wait to see what God's gonna do through you. And he walked, I walk away, all just kind of messed up like, man, like kind of wrecked. And uh, I turn around and he's gone and he wasn't there. And it was really weird and it messed me up. And I just called my mom. I remember calling my mom and telling her and she's just crying and I'm crying and we're trying to figure out what's going on. It's Friday. I get a phone call from the pastor and he goes, Hey, the church is opening uh, this Sunday. You're speaking Sunday. And I'm like, Whoa, that's weird. That Sunday morning, I had no idea what I was going to talk about. Nothing. Zero. Not a, like I, maybe I had a Bible verse and I think it was from James four. And I remember walking up on stage and looking into the crowd and there was more people in the church than I've ever seen. It was the first time the church had opened since COVID and it was, my dad in the crowd, my brother, my girlfriend, all these people. And man, I got to speak. I was blessed with the opportunity to do altar call. And the first person to stand up after altar call was my dad and it wrecked me. And I realized like, man, if I didn't fall, if I didn't get hurt, this would have never happened. If I didn't suffer, then this would have never happened. And I just broke down crying and I got, it's crazy because everyone's like, oh my gosh, it's so amazing. Dude, things got dark fast after that happened. A pastor came up to me right after one of the pastors. He goes, hey, you need to go home and just go to sleep. Something's coming for you. I don't know why, but you got to go to bed. I'm like, all right. I didn't listen. I get a phone call from one of my buddies that was dealing with some really heavy stuff, some dark, dark stuff. He's like, hey, can you meet with me? right after the most amazing moment in my life i had to leave and go meet with this kid and talk with him about something that was bad really bad and being around such evil in someone's life it came after me hard i felt like i was personally being chased by the devil or he was there because it was something that was so strong and i've never dealt with before like i'm looking at the i'm looking we're at the lake talking and i'm looking at the lake and i'm like all i see is black like i'm i'm going to go into that water and i'm going to die and i'm never coming out and it was this condemning feeling of like you could your, your your dad could have been a christian sooner or like you like he didn't mean it like all this just just dark 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 stuff and i remember just like coming to it out of nowhere and i realized like it was satan coming after me i realized that there is a spiritual battle and i realized i suffered for the right reasons and i ended up shortly after that going into surgery and stuff and uh right after that i found out that like the nurses and the surgeon was christian and i woke uh, right before i went into surgery i ended up writing in my journal that uh, i felt like god was going to do something to glorify him and uh i woke up from surgery it turns out my rotator cuff was at 100 percent health my bicep was at 100 percent health and they just put like a couple anchors in my labrum and called it a day they were out they were in and out in like 10 minutes The doctor looked at me and he goes, you went from a year recovery to maybe four to six week recovery. And I looked at him so like confused because it went from you'll never ride a bike again to the surgery might not happen to it's going to be your recovery no matter what your year's over and you're going to have to do crazy physical therapy. It's going to be crazy. Like you're going to have to work for it to, yeah, you're good. And my mom looked at him. She's like, can you give us an explanation? Because. Your rotator cuff doesn't grow back. I have the MRI. It shows this little piece of my of my uh, rotator cuff hanging off my bone, little piece. And he goes, "It's at a hundred. It was at a hundred percent health." And he just looked at me and he goes, and walked away. And what I for people that don't know, I he just pointed to the ceiling, and walked away. And it was this other feeling of just like, man, what is going on? I knew that the Lord had called me to something bigger than myself. I had known that there, God has his hands over my life for a specific reason. And he just time and time again showed up and I got to realize like, man, like I can't just turn away from the Lord when things don't go my way. And I ended up get, leaving, the, leaving the hospital and within that first day, I was already moving my arm. I was already getting it to start work and did physical therapy for like two weeks. I was riding in a show with the stunt dudes four weeks later. That's wild. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> Just dumb. I wasn't even supposed to be there. And I was there to go announce because I wasn't even supposed to be riding. And then I ended up was like, I had brought my bike and kind of like weaseled my way <laughs> in. I was speaking at uh, with another thing. And I ended up riding and doing the show. Yeah, And yeah. Uh, it was epic because I got to share the story that i just told you in front of like a thousand people um at this event and it was supposed to be way more than a thousand but there's like these big grandstands and everyone's scattered in the grandstands and the speaker that was supposed to speak that night ended up pulling out and asked me to speak and i was like what he goes yeah you need to go speak so i walked out on this ramp and it's on youtube right now if you look up my name it'll come up and i spoke and told that exact story in front of a thousand people and saw people give their life over to the Lord through that story. And the the but then the year wasn't even over yet or wasn't even near over yet. I think that was June June, July. I think it was like July or August is where we're sitting at right now. It was weird. Yeah, we're in, we're in July. End of July. And August rolls around and started having some serious issues with that relationship that I was in and tried to pull out of it and just was wasn't good and I finally gave up finally was done and uh, we went our separate ways and I was seeing other girls I was making bad decisions here and there and I was like trying to find hope and trying to find a relationship trying to find a wife whatever it was I was just like desperate and I met like four or five people that each taught me something different that would lead up to the person that I would meet to spend the rest of my life with And it was super weird like I met this girl and it was like picture perfect and I met her up in that up on the shows when I was riding for the stunties, I met her up there. And it was like picture perfect. Everything I could ever want in a person. Like we were so much alike. We were this, we were that. We went on this amazing date. Like it was just insane. And then I get ghosted and like my heart was broken and all this stuff happened. I was like, man, I finally trusted someone again after being in a bad relationship and this happens. And it's like, it was reoccurring, but I learned something from each person. And I remember we had we were just about to move churches and start this young adults ministry that was a really small group into a huge service and uh right before that i knew that there was a missing piece of a puzzle to my life i knew that there was something that i needed desperately and sure enough man i had a breakdown moment and uh i was supposed to either go to this thing called jesus fest with the people from rove or i was supposed to go to chicago to do this show with the circus because I had rode for the circus for a while and I rode for a bunch of organizations that were like super crazy and like a lot of the guys were just fueled off cocaine and drinking and just kind of gnarly dudes and uh, it was strip club after strip club and it was just like a scene that I didn't want to be in anymore. And so I had no idea why I was called to go there. I'm like, dude, this doesn't make sense. Jesus Fest or crazy Motley crew looking guys? Like, <laughs> why am I going here? And I had a breakdown moment and I just said, Lord, like I need that missing piece of my life. I need my wife. I, I I need her to be blonde. I don't want her to do. And I was like, if she's blonde, that'd be sweet. Like I was just like, kind of like joking, crying, but I was like, <laughs> I remember saying, I want her to have nothing to do with my world. Like, I don't want her to have anything to do with anything I'm about. I want to introduce her to my world. And surely enough, I go to freaking Chicago, no, I go to Wakanda. Wakanda, yes. Wakanda? The actual Wakanda. Is like from real the pla- Marvel movies? From the Marvel movies. But is it a real place in Illinois outside Chicago. Okay. And I go to Wakanda, and I'm there, and the guys are obviously just going hard already. It's like, hey, let's do this. Let's go to the bars. Let's do this. Let's do that. And I'm like, well, not interested. And I ended up, I don't really tell. I mean, me and my wife, we haven't talked about it this story at all. Like, so it's just one of the first times I get to actually open up about it. But, uh, (laughs) it's funny because I downloaded Bumble and I know what Bumble is and know what Tinder is. And I was like, dude, I just need to find someone to go and take me to get coffee. Like I cannot sit here any longer. (laughs) Like I can't (laughs) do this. And, uh, surely enough, I matched with the girl and I sent her like a six paragraph long essay on how I'm not a murderer and that I don't want to have sex with her. All I want to do is really just go get coffee and have a cool conversation. That's it. And uh, I had my phone number at the bottom of this long message. And then I deleted the app because I was like, I didn't want, I just didn't want it. It It's like, I know what this is. I've used it before. I don't want to be a part of it. And so I deleted the app. I kind of was like, this is the one person, like bait and hook. Let's see if it works. (laughs) I get a text like two days later from this girl. She goes, hey, it's Kedzie. I'm like, who the heck is Kedzie? (laughs) it's <laughs> surely enough, uh, it was the girl, and uh she came and picked me up in this Toyota Prius, and I remember looking at her, I was like, Holy cow, this is insane. And she heard me. I was like, I said I didn't say holy cow, I said something else. And she's like, What was that? And I'm like, nothing. I was like, put my head down, I got in the car, I'm like, What's up? Like, what do you want to go do? She's like, Let's go get coffee, let's do this, let's do that. So we ended up going on this date, and it was really cool, but like I did not answer a single question she had about me, like what did she want to know about me? Everything was about her. But she noticed that I had these two bracelets on. It was like God first. And this one was a, a different one called uh, self-destruct. And I kind, kind of was like hinting at that I was a Christian or hinting that I had faith, but like, I just wanted to know about her. I just wanted to know everything about her. And uh, finally, we ended up going to dinner that night and we sat down and I was like, okay, what do you want to know? And she said, word for word, tell me about your faith. And I looked at her. I'm like, what? Are you serious? Like, that's what you want to know? Because that was completely new to me. And no one ever asked me that before. And I got the opportunity to present the gospel to her right then and there. I had no idea that she wasn't a Christian. I had no idea that she didn't believe in God or anything or whatever. I just told her exactly what I believed in. and, And word for word, I was like, I just believe in the truth. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in this, that, and the other. And like, presented the gospel to her, that was on Sunday. The Sunday after that, she booked a one-way flight to Florida. The Sunday after that, we got married. So we knew each other for two weeks before we got married, and it was absolutely ridiculous. It wasn't a plan. Like, we didn't plan it out like, yeah, we're going to get married in two weeks. That's going to be funny. It was like something that we knew we had to do. And she came to Florida, and it was crazy. Rov had just started. Like the actual service just started. I think there was like 60 kids who showed up for the first time. And I had to speak the Sunday that she got there. So it's the first time she's been in a church, Christian church ever. Like weird, dude. All this weird. Like I'm about to marry this person in a week. What the heck is going on? I had no idea. And it just, that year, 2020, it just completely started off to be the worst year. And it became the best year and yeah, we got married, and obviously things are not always easy. Anyone who's about to get married, don't just learn, like I just plead with you, don't go into marriage thinking that it's going to change everything or fix everything, because you do not know the baggage that you bring into when two people become one. It's crazy. So we had to learn, and we kind of, but we knew that we were doing the right thing because we had that Confirmation from the Lord. We sat there, and I called someone from the church, and I was like, "Hey, like, I want to get married. Like, we're we're gonna we're gonna do this. Like, and we want to get married immediately." And they're like, "Well, we'll get you in premarital counseling. We'll do this. We'll do that." And kind of like, in a way, he was busy. He kind of blew it off, and I knew that wasn't right. It wasn't like, "Okay, is this the Lord speaking to me? Like, I shouldn't be doing this." I knew it wasn't right. Put my head down. I grabbed her hand. I said, "Lord, like, if this is you, if this is what you want." if this is your marriage, like if you want us to get married, I pray that you open that door for us and just make it clear. We we're small minded little babies, like make it clear for our little head, like, please. And, uh, we go to my, one of my best friend's houses, uh, Matt Manzari, and we sit down with him and, uh, he just starts going over all these questions. and we start talking. He hadn't, he didn't really know that we were going to wanted to get married. We didn't really talk about it. Like I I told him like, Oh yeah, this chick's really awesome. Like I want to marry this girl, but like, it wasn't serious. And, uh, he just basically did premarital counseling with us. And he laughs and he goes, I never do this. And quite frankly, I will always avoid doing this. But, like, if you guys want to get married, I'll marry you guys in the backyard Sunday. Like, let's do it. And no joke, we left his house and rushed straight to the uh, courthouse. And we got to the courthouse with one minute to spare. No joke, one minute. I remember running, she ran in. I remember parking the car and running full sprint into it, ran through security. I'm like, blonde girl, where'd she go? And they're like, the one went up the elevator, one went that way. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing they told you. 100%. They, they had just known that was in panic mode and they didn't even care. And they're like, yeah, go that way. And I just sprinted down, <laughs> down the hall and it turns out I picked the right blonde. <laughs> and uh, we got our marriage license and the, a day or two later we got married. And uh, it was just us. It was just me, her, Matt, my buddy Matthew, who took photos, and uh, his kids, and that was it. No family, no nothing. It was pretty epic. <laughs> yeah, dude. And then the rest of the year was just like full throttle from there. So
0: that was at what? What month was
1: this? We got married October fourth.
0: October of twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I love when I can ask somebody, "How was twenty twenty for you?" and they're not just like oh it was terrible man covid really sucked. Yeah. Um there's obviously there's so much more that was happening. Mm-hmm. And I ask because it, I recognize I was in a very different position than a lot of people and it was 2020 was a really really good year for me. It was yeah. a, a turnaround year. It, the first couple months were really hard and and started something very new in mm-hmm. my life. And so I like getting to ask the question and hear more of a story like this is what was going on in my life and why it was significant, Mm -hmm. not just, oh, it sucked because of this (laughs) reason that everybody else states as the reason that it sucked. And apparently, this is like a first time sharing some of this stuff. Yeah, and now it's it has been. gonna go on the internet, and <laughs> everyone's gonna know. <laughs> sweet, I <laughs> love it. <laughs> Maybe more people than usually listen if if you can throw it out there for people. 100 percent. Yeah, that'd there. be sweet. Absolutely. So from that point, mm-hmm. did life start looking very different? You'd been asking God for mm-hmm. a missing piece to the mm-hmm. puzzle. Did yeah. He give you that piece, and now He started looking different for you? Hundred percent.
1: I truly truly believe my faith hit a light switch or hit like the restart button as soon as I got married. It was like mm. a whole different ball game. My my life completely changed 180 immediately. I didn't think it was going to change immediately, but <laughs> it changed. <laughs> it definitely changed. And it wasn't about me anymore. It was about us and it was about ministry and it was about this, it was about that, but uh yeah. it there's some things that had happened shortly after that created a lot of trouble in our marriage. And it was because of ministry. It was because of church and it created more problems than, than good. I strongly suggest that if anyone is considering getting married and they're in a, they're going to be in a ministry standpoint, do not go into ministry within the first year of your marriage. Don't do it. It, unless God says otherwise, but, it will only drive you guys apart because we didn't understand, or we understood the commitment that we were making. That much is clear. But the expectation that church puts on you when you get married is this focal point of you're serving, so she has to serve. Oh, we're going, we're going to to be fighting. The church, I love them. I have nothing but respect for them, but they set us up truly for failure. It was failure. And even still to this day, people will never know the pain that we were suffering because of church, because of ministry, and the fighting, and the arguing, not because of anything that we were doing. It wasn't because of, oh, man, like any any normal argument. But it was because of the church. It was and then who do you blame from the church? You blame God. I will never forget, and I've never I've never brought this up to the public, so this is gonna be a first. But like I will never forget sitting in that church and looking over at your wife, and she is so upset and just devastated and gets up and walks out of the church. And goes and sits in her car and is on the phone with her mom within minutes, crying, saying how she doesn't even know she wants to believe in God anymore, let alone be married. It it changed me. I walked. I got up. I got out of the out of the church, and I just dro- we drove, and I just drove into Orlando. I drove to our favorite coffee shop. I remember sitting outside of the coffee shop, and her and I just talked, and I just had a breakdown moment of like, I'll walk away now. If this, if this is what we have to do, what, I I don't know what to do, but, uh, I'll walk away from the church. I'll walk away from this. Like I need to fix this and thinking we were going to get help. We really didn't. It, we were kind of thrown into a position of like, Hey, you did this whole marriage thing wrong. So we'll get you in counseling and we'll have them fix you because you did things backwards. And that was word for word what our counselor told us, the people who got us into counseling said about us. And it broke us. We went into counseling for help and we left more hurt because the the counselor closes her book and she goes, I don't need this job. And, every, and because she, she had asked me a question, she's like, so where did the arguing start? And I was like, oh boy. It started with this. And she closes her book immediately and she goes, you guys got to get out. 100%. She goes, your marriage needs to mean more to you than that that building. You're of that ministry. Go. Get out. Leave now. And it, we left there with more questions. And when we made those questions known, it, dude, it was hard. Like I've fought with things and dealt with things that, I never thought I would ever have to deal with in my life. You think that people in the church are loving and caring and want what's best for you until they don't. And we struggled with uh, pulling away from the church and the ministry that God used me to start was taken away from us. And we were replaced and we were pushed out. And it's amazing to me that you can put everything into something, everything. And as soon as man gets involved, how quickly it'll change. Because I was being told that I'm being told that God is telling me to tell you to do this. And I'm like, that's not what God's telling me. I'll never forget one day I walked into the church through a craziness that have happened. And obviously there's a lot of missing pieces to these stories, but like I sat down and I put my head down And I looked up and I was looking at who was speaking and I just felt God say, it is, it is finished. This will be the last time you speak. It is finished. And I have never, I did not speak there ever again. And that was the last time that I, I, it was, it wasn't announced yet. It wasn't like, Hey, you're, you're not going to be here at the church anymore or whatever. But I knew that was my last time. And I knew I had to separate myself from the church in order to get closer to God. How Mm. insane is that that i have to separate myself from where we're supposed to get closer to the lord in order to get closer to the lord from that moment of stepping out in faith is when our lives truly changed we were living in my mom's house as a married couple for a year and it like that whole story took was took place over a year and that's how it ended It was great. And then it ended immediately just like that in a snap of a finger gone. When we tried to go back to figure out, Hey, how can we work this out? I'll never forget having a conversation with them. I said, if you can pay me a full-time salary to be able to stay here at the church, to be able to be here and do this, like I'll do it. I'll, I'll give up BMX. I'll give up everything. But I have like these other opportunities that are popping up and I'm not saying yes or no to them because of the church, because of my position here. And instead of trying to help, they thought help was, okay, get rid of them. And they just threw us out with the bathwater, basically. And still to this day, having conversations with people that were involved and what had gone on, it's amazing to me that I can hold myself accountable for the decisions that I've made and the things that I've done and the things that I've said. But it's amazing to know that other people don't. And so... When you asked me about like the faith and everything, dude, we went head on into the biggest, craziest storm right into our marriage. It wasn't until we landed here in the Bentonville area until we finally got a fresh breath of air and got to let go and move on. Like I, We picked up everything that we had and just moved just like in an instant. I didn't tell anyone. We made the decision and a week later we were gone and moved halfway across the country from Florida. And then it was just a rebuilding process. Obviously, people, you can say your church hurt or you're this or you're that. But in the reality of it, it was we, I value my time there. I value the ministry. It's still going on right now. I value the kids and the influence that we had. And I value that experience so much because it taught me so much. And that's why, like, the whole conversation that we've had is always about, like, purpose behind our hurt, purpose Mm -hmm. behind pain. And so I, me and my wife had a conversation today. It's like, if you asked me five years ago, what do you want your life to look like? Or what do you expect your life to look like? It would make me so uncomfortable to try and answer that. But it's the coolest thing now that I look back on my life and say, man, the last five years I've looked like this. And that's my motivation for moving forward is I would I'd want to be able to look back on my life in five years and say, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this, and because of these things happening, I'm here. And then you move on. Because it's much easier to look back on your past than it is to try and look into the future. So
0: yeah, there's your answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> it has um one, I want to know if this podcast you mentioned you've been on a number of different podcasts, yeah, which a lot. makes a lot of sense if this has followed the traditional route or if it's been a little different? Oh, it's completely different. Oh, great. That's that's comforting. But yeah. also I want to know, like what is it that people miss because they're looking, they already have an agenda of what they want when they mm. talk with you. Mm-hmm. What is it they miss that you wish they would notice or wish they would ask about? Hmm.
1: It's funny that you asked that because I think about that all the time. Like, I, actually, I thought about it really recently because I was on a podcast a couple weeks ago. With one of my friends. Actually, I did. Dude, I was on two podcasts a couple a couple weeks ago, one over the phone and then one in person with my buddy Brant. And uh, I, I guess I want them to ask what's going on now. It, I love the past. I love talking about it and I love bringing it up and I love being able to to dive in. But like, there are so many things that have happened in the last two weeks that is insane that I'll never that I never get the opportunity to share. And so I never want to be identified as my stories. And that was the biggest thing for me by looking at other people who make a living off telling stories that go to the same city in the same place a year later and say the same story. Like, have you limited God to that? You have limited God to the one encounter that you recognize God in, that that's the only thing you can talk about. And I find myself, I caught, I caught myself in that from going into, speaking at events and stuff like that I caught myself and like man this is repetitive how much else is like there's so many other things that God has done for me why don't I talk about those and so I guess when I get into these these interviewing things or podcasts and stuff like that I much I much love the idea of not having this script to go by in a way of like okay this is what I know will get views is this 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 and this I like the the organicness of just like What's going on in your life? And you did a, you've done a great job of just like pres- like pushing the conversation into a way that it doesn't feel like hey, there's certain things that we have to talk about, and that's it's been sweet,
0: honestly. Oh, great, enjoy it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Dude, it's it's so funny to me too. The part of the reason I initially started wanting to do this is because I started having conversations with just random strangers or people that I had interacted with in some regard. And hearing these wild stories of their life that you would never know. Mm -hmm. Um, So my experience of just coming to know that you exist was firstly because Joe, who you worked with, I was hanging out with him and taking photos. And he said, oh, Joel. (laughs) (laughs) That's just him right (laughs) Yeah, that's him. (laughs) Do you you remember how you said you wanted to have somebody on the podcast you've never met before? Mm-hmm. I said, "Yeah, I, I've probably said that." Yeah, he said, "I found the guy." <laughs> <laughs> so immediately it was intrigued. I was like, "Don't tell me anything then." Yeah, and then my first interaction with you is just you show up with Kenzie at mm-hmm. Life Group. Hmm. Um, and you met you met my wife before. I've before. met yeah. I had yep. met Kenzie because she'd been into the cafe before mm-hmm. with her, uh, your dog. Yeah. And so I just see the two of you in this super normal community close like family setting Mm -hmm. just living life yeah and then get the opportunity at this point today to sit down and hear about all this stuff Mm -hmm. and listen to you talk sitting across from me about what you've gone through and and how you've come to today and that's just the most amazing thing to me Mm. that because we're all just people we're all humans living life on this earth and you never know mm-hmm. what somebody else's life has looked like. Mm-mm. I always tell people when, when I tell them about what this show is and why I do it, I say your life looks normal to you probably mm-hmm. because you're the person who lived it. Yeah. But nobody else has. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe to you, your life doesn't look normal. You <laughs> You've lived a little bit of a non-standard life. It's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> but...
1: It's my standard of normal, though. Yeah, <laughs> it's like
0: it's what you're used to, and a lot of this stuff maybe you experience you don't think twice about because it's it's your life,
1: dude. That is something that we just got into a conversation. I know you're probably moving towards something here, but like just to cut you off, it was like you don't. I never understood how many people don't get the opportunity to do the things that I've been able to do. It it is mind blowing to me that I could come home to Bentonville walk into Onyx, and I know I will see at least five people there that I know will be there. And that to me is terrifying to know that my day consists of this place no matter what and that they're not probably ever going to get the opportunity to go do what I've been able to do. Just in the last two weeks, I've been, in the last two weeks, I, was, I did 26 shows in California from San Diego to San Francisco, hopped on a plane, went to Tulsa, landed in Tulsa at midnight, spent the night in my bed here in Bentonville, got coffee at Onyx, had lunch with my wife, flew out an hour after that, after lunch, flew to Charlotte, was in Charlotte for a little while, went to Myrtle Beach, did a show in Myrtle Beach, ran around there on a free motorcycle, going to coffee shops and hanging out, Flew back to Charlotte, got homeless in Charlotte, had to spend the night in Charlotte, and woke up at five o'clock in the morning and ran around town on a little bird scooter to go to different coffee shops and meet people and hang out. Got to the airport with 20 minutes to spare and flew back home and was with my wife and hanging out. And now we're here. Uh, that was, and that's, that was literally I flew in like yesterday or something. And it's amazing to me that like, I was on both sides of, the, of our country in the last two weeks, getting to do things that people think that is like so extravagant, so insane, and so unfeasible. From this doorstep to Denver, Colorado, is like nine hours. How mu- how long is your shift? It's usually ten hours. So you're telling me that the same amount of time it takes me to go to work, I could go. To the, one of the most beautiful places in the world, like out, like not obviously Denver, Colorado is not the most beautiful place in the world, but that general area. It's like people get so stuck into habit, into tradition, into schedule that they never get to see the bigger picture, and it it pains me and it scares me because I I, I can't do that. Like there's no way. There's no way. And I don't say that because there is no way. Like if I, I've had my full-time job, like I took a job at Onyx Coffee Lab not because I needed it, because I wanted to. And it truly, it sounds ridiculous, but it humbles me to understand how much I should value what I get to do. Because sitting there 40 hours a week and I look at the amount of money that I make in 40 hours, I'm like in one show I make double this. And I was here for 40 hours. Obviously, I'm blessed to be there. I'm blessed to have that job. I'm stoked. But, like, you stop yourself from living the dream that you have. And I just love to be the I love being the person that gets to create my dreams and live them. And no matter what it is, if I'm sitting here playing chess with you, that's a dream I'm stoked, to be able to have a coffee and play chess. Or it's to... uh see the Grand Canyon or it's to go to the Sequoias, which are really sweet. I got to do that. Absolutely ridiculous to see a tree that is as wide as this room. Yeah. But like it's, it's amazing to me that I never get the opportunity to share that part. So thank you because it is tough traveling alone sometimes and it is super hard. And I definitely feel like there's more strangers in the world that know more about me than the closest people to me. So there's a lot of ups and there's a lot of downsides to it, but man, if there's one thing that I could tell anyone is just go see the world, go see different cultures. it'll It'll literally change your entire perspective on life, because when you get stuck in that rut, dude, it's, you just get, it just goes deeper and deeper and it's harder to get
0: out. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I had a long conversation with another guy who was on this podcast uh, a year or so ago. Um, Who has also lived a pretty unconventional life for a while now, and we spent a lot of time talking about that. What it looks, what what you give up when you settle for security or what looks like security or comfort. And I'm always thankful to be able to have those conversations, not only to participate in them, but just to hear that other people share that perspective Mm. or share, at the very least, an ideal. Of what they wish they could do yeah. or what they want to do, mm-hmm. yeah. So I'm happy to hear those things from you too. <laughs> well, we can so. wind down though. On the, I feel like those are, that's a good place to wind down because as sure? I am reminding myself constantly when I do this, it's the goal of this podcast is not to have the whole conversation because it never stops, mm-hmm. but to at least start it mm-hmm. and just to have the incredible opportunity to just just to talk to somebody else and get to know. Them. Um, so thanks. Well, thank you. Yeah, we're that not done awesome. yet though. No, we're not because every episode ends in the same way. Okay. I get a funny story,
2: okay, <laughs> <laughs> which
0: I'm sure you have a plethora of, and uh, a recommendation. Okay, so well, we'll start with actually the recommendation comes first because I like to end with laughter. So, recommendation of what? A recommendation, then? anything. What Any is recommendation? your recommendation? Ooh. Yeah, for everybody who hears this and listens to all. <laughs> All, you know, two hours or so. What do you want to recommend? Oh, man, that's tough. It's usually something very uh, intangible, but it can be that you've been enjoying mangoes recently. <laughs> a mango, you know, whatever you want. Actually, uh, uh, if it, if it's
1: like that, then I have to do... I, I have to say something serious then. Okay. And I, I'm just trying to... I am just trying to let the words roll off of my tongue because, man... I would recommend people to tell their stories it because I can tell you a story about how I enjoyed this cup of coffee. I can tell you a story about how, what my day was like driving here. I could tell you a story on why I chose this outfit that I'm wearing. And it's amazing to me that people feel so silenced and just tell your story. Like, whatever it is. And I know that sounds like, Oh man, this is just like, you're just trying to be a podcast kind of guy and we're going to clip this and it's going to sound super inspirational, but like, I would not recommend anyone to do half of the stuff that I do. (laughs) (laughs) I recommend not doing a backflip on a bicycle, (laughs) but I do recommend doing what you love. And in all honesty, uh, I recommend just telling your story Mm -hmm. to anyone so yeah that's my recommendation that's
0: a good one yeah find somebody who actually wants to listen and tell a story i I really i want to personally get better at telling stories that's Mm -hmm. one of the things that i think i have the opportunity to practice and dive into with doing something like this yeah and that i want to help draw out of other people too because Mm -hmm. i know some people who are very good storytellers Mm -hmm. and i think it's it's uh it's an art we should practice more more frequently for sure okay good Mm -hmm. one i like it what's your your funny story that you want to end with
1: (laughs) dude there's so many i'm sure i'm trying to think of one that would be generally funny rather than disgusting or horrible because there's been a lot dude there's been (laughs) there's been some gnarliness dude i gotta i gotta dive in deep because oh man there's a lot i'm trying to think of something that may have happened recently
0: Something fresh
1: but this is scary, like my life is almost like a movie, so it's hard to pinpoint certain things, it's like what you were talking about earlier, it's like, oh man, that roller coaster effect. Mm-hmm. My life is constantly a roller coaster effect, and so it is dangerous, genuinely, it is because dopamine, whatever you want to call it like that that sensation when I don't have that sensation, it's scary. Because I now I've been so accustomed to adrenaline, so accustomed to that dopamine hit mm-hmm. that like nothing, like the most simplest thing is funny to me. Like it's just weird. Like I just like sitting sitting in a coffee shop with no one around and just drinking a cup of coffee and just like people watching is like what I like to do now instead of like jumping off cliffs and sketchy stuff. But funny story. Oh, man, I'm going off the track again.
0: <laughs> um Coincidentally, that's how I also get my dopamine hits is sitting in cafes and just watching people. (laughs) Love it. Yeah. Talking to the baristas. 100%. that's my recommendation go get to know a barista in a local shop
1: or go talk to the oldest person at a coffee (laughs) coffee shop it'll change your life there's a guy named mr michael great recommendation that changed my life he is 88 years old 86 88 years old and he is the funniest human being i've ever met in my entire life and him and i are like really close friends and he gives me he basically told me that uh he is going to mentor me and he did for a year of like solid mentoring about everything and he's nuts and it's funny because he is he knows every bible verse every scripture and we're having a serious conversation we're sitting by the lake and here's a funny story we're sitting by the lake and he's taught me so much he made me like memorize romans 12 all this stuff and like genuinely he was what i needed in that crazy time in my life and we're sitting there at this lake, and he used to be an opera singer. <laughs> wow. And he has an amazing voice. And I bet, like, yeah. We're sitting there overlooking the lake, and we're sitting in his car, we're talking, and we had just left a coffee shop. And, uh, and he puts in this disc, and he's like, you kids have no idea what praise music is. And he goes, all, like, they're singing songs and all this stuff. And he goes, you also know that... <laughs> You also know that weed's in the Bible, right? As he takes his like little packet, has his blunt, and lights a blunt and starts smoking weed in front of me, and he goes and he goes through the Bible and shows me where it's at and all this stuff, and I am just crying, laughing in tears because the most serious Christian I've ever met that is the, like just his theology is perfect. He helped me so much. He's eighty eight years old. He looks like he's fifty, and we're just sitting there, and he just pulls out weed and starts smoking, and it was. Genuinely, it, that is one of the funniest moments of my entire life. And there's some really funny moments, but man, the seriousness of that. And God, it just has such a sense of humor. Yeah, <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, I bet he was laughing along with
1: you. Oh, dude, he was just... I don't think he even laughed. He's like, what? What's your problem? <laughs> but man, like with the travels with everything i could go on and on especially when it comes to funny stories so yeah i bet i i have this journal this book that has some deep dark secrets but some funny stories in it man so i'm sure next time i'll have to we'll have to just open that journal and just start sifting through it yeah see what's going the, on a
0: special edition of the podcast oh boy <laughs> mr michael mr michael that's great thank you for sharing oh, pleasure <laughs> this has been awesome
1: when i was just in california there was uh, this family that like, i had the pleasure of meeting and uh, i have the video we were sitting at the table and the mother was going over how many like photos or videos that they have and like we were just like kind of like in a way gloating like oh i have a thousand photos or i have four thousand photos and the mom starts laughing hysterically she goes i have over three hundred thousand photos on my phone i'm like oh my gosh what